Well, today we conclude our sermon series called Christmas Gifts, and we're going to do that by considering God's incredible gift to us of hope for our pain. But I want to begin with a quick little survey question here. How many of you have seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life? Let me see your hands. Okay, many hands going up. Of those who just raised your hands, how many of you have seen it like a million times? <laughs> many, many times, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a holiday classic, isn't it? Early on in that movie, there's this scene where uh, Angel Second Class Clarence is about to get an assignment. Superior says, Clarence, you need to go down there and help this guy, George Bailey. And Clarence asks, well, why, is he sick or something? And Superior says back, no, it's worse than that. He's discouraged. It's a lot of discouragement in people's lives right now. You know, we tend to think that Christmas is this wonderful, amazing, happy time of celebration. Loved ones, family members get together, everybody gets along, everything is terrific, and we make the annual trip over the meadow and through the woods to grandma's house, and it's all just a wonderful, positive experience. But vast numbers of people, maybe it's even you today, find that the season of joy that's supposed to be so joyful is instead a time more like the experience of George Bailey, time of discouragement and pain. We know, for example, that suicide rates jump sharply in the days leading up to Christmas, that domestic fires and car accidents tend to be more common, that many people come to experience what is now referred to as Christmas depression, and added, of course, to all of this are all the concerns about gatherings and travel plans because of this pandemic. So for a lot of people, maybe for you today, the Christmas season is a time of, of great discouragement. Now, maybe for you, it's just the opposite. Maybe Christmas has never been better. This is a happy time. You're looking forward to being with family and friends, and everything is just uh, great. Well, my purpose certainly today is not to leave you in a pile of depression or to cause you to feel guilty because you're joyful. But the reality is probably most of us are aware of at least somebody for whom Christmas is a very difficult experience. So what I would hope to accomplish in the lives of those of you who are feeling this is a great season to maybe just raise the bar of concern a bit with regard to such individuals. And if Christmas really hurts for you, you know, let's talk about it. Let's consider what we can do about it. After all, when Jesus was born the first Christmas, the world wasn't exactly bursting with happy people either. As a matter of fact, the verses we're going to consider today from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, the last part of that chapter, have been referred to as the dark side of Christmas. And so today we want to consider what the dark side is like, looking at Matthew's description of that. And uh, I think that'll help us to better understand some of the issues that may be impacting us today, or loved ones, those that we care about, and at the same time begin to figure out how to cope. 
So two questions, they're on your outline, the first of which is this, what is the dark side of Christmas really like? Well, let me describe it for you in three ways. First of all, for many, Christmas brings difficulties and danger. Now, you may recall something of the story as Pastor Amy was preaching on the beginning of this chapter last Sunday morning. These magi, these wise men from the east, probably from Persia, modern day Iraq and Iran, followed the star, came to Bethlehem. What was that all about anyway? Well, we can go back many, many centuries to earlier magi, back to the time of the prophet Daniel, Twice in that Old Testament book that bears his name, we read that Daniel was in charge of the Magi. And here's Daniel. He and along with all of the other Jews have been taken into captivity to Babylon, which became Persia, modern day Iraq and Iran. So he's in charge of these Magi. And one may expect, text doesn't say this, but I think we can draw the assumption that most likely Daniel and his friends would have talked about that which was so important to them, namely their messianic hope, their hope of a coming king and savior, someone who would come and minister to the deep needs of the human heart. No doubt even reflecting then on the messianic passage found in Numbers 24, 17, which says that a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter, the symbol of a king, will rise out of Israel, star, scepter, all of these things. So more than likely then, these magi in the days of Daniel passed on this hope to the magi of the time when Jesus was born. They come, they meet with Herod the king. He tells them, well, go and find the child. And when you do, come back and tell me where he's located. I want to go and worship him too. And at that point, having found uh, the Christ child and presenting him with their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they're warned by God not to go back to Herod, but rather to journey back to their home. Here's then where we pick up on the story here in Matthew chapter uh, 2, beginning at verse 13. Notice as I read this passage the difficulty and the danger that is found in this story. When they, that is the Magi, had gone, angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother. During the night, left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. We'll pick up on the rest of that. Uh, reading shortly. So the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in this dream saying there's difficulty here, there's danger, take the child, get out of here, go to the land of Egypt. Okay, why Egypt? Well, it was only 75 miles away from Bethlehem to the border at least of Egypt. It was outside of the jurisdiction of, of Herod. Many Jews were already living in the land of Egypt, so they may have found some comfort and support by living among them and more than likely paying for their stay in Egypt by making use of the gifts that had been presented to them by the Magi. Now, we don't know exactly where they stayed. We don't even know what they did. But Matthew does tell us that the journey to Egypt fulfilled scripture, verse 15, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, 
Out of Egypt I called my son. Now that quotation from Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, initially referred to God's calling the nation of Israel out of Egypt in the days of Moses. So just as the infant nation of Israel went down to Egypt, later came up out of Egypt, so the true Israelite, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew is presenting Jesus as the faithful Israelite. The true Israelite, Jesus, as an infant, goes down into Egypt and would one day come out of Egypt. But you, did you notice in the reading of the text the difficulty, the danger that this presented? Well, Christmas is still that way for many, many people. I mean, just think, for example, of individuals who experienced the difficulty at Christmas of loneliness, students who can't get home, those who serve right now in the military, same thing with them, can't get home, those who perhaps have recently gone through a divorce, their family is just fractured, the loss of a loved one that's sick, homebound, those cut off because of issues related to COVID, they all tend to feel discouragement and pain when so many other people are, you know, getting ready for parties and great get-togethers and celebrations. So if Christmas really hurts for you, or those that you know, maybe it'll be of some encouragement to you to be reminded of the fact that when Jesus Christ entered our world, he faced difficulty as well. He didn't live in some kind of a protective bubble, you know, isolated from the difficulties and dangers of life. This family fled for their lives and became refugees in a foreign country. We just heard about the ministry of, you know, the Jonathan House Project, ministering to refugees. Here's Jesus, he's a refugee in this foreign land. So in answer to our question, what is the dark side of Christmas about? Oftentimes it's marked out by difficulty and danger. Then uh, secondly, for others, Christmas brings sorrow. And that was true of the first Christmas. Notice as we continue to read the story. Again, look for the sorrow part. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled and we'll come back to that prophecy shortly. But here's Herod, he's enraged. The Magi didn't come back as he had requested and uh, so he commits one of the bloodiest acts of his career, certainly the cruelest, he issues this order to his soldiers to kill all the boy babies in Bethlehem and its vicinity, two years of age and younger. Based on the report of the Magi, how long it took them to journey from that area of the world, you know, hundreds of miles, probably like eight, 900 miles, to, Bethlehem, to Jerusalem, first of all, and then to Bethlehem, when they get to see the child, he's no longer an infant in a manger. The text says, earlier in Matthew's gospel here, chapter two, they came to a house. So Jesus is no longer this infant in a manger, he's probably a toddler in the house. That's how they find him. And he gives this order to 
kill all of these children. We don't know how many were killed, but that's beside the point, isn't it? I mean, seriously, it doesn't matter how many. I mean, this is, this is horrific that he would do something like that. He certainly had no intention of fulfilling scripture, but that's what happened. Notice, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled, and Matthew quotes Jeremiah 31, verse 15, a voice is heard in Ramah, I'll mention what that is shortly, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now back in Jeremiah, the prophet is speaking of the sorrow that would be experienced because the nation of Israel was about to go into captivity to Babylon. So what's Ramah? Ramah is the city just about five miles north of of uh, Jerusalem, it was sort of a holding city, a place where the Jews were assembled for deportation. Okay, who's Rachel? Rachel, mentioned in the book of Genesis, was the mother of two sons, Joseph and Benjamin, and it's as if their multiplied descendants basically made up the nation of Israel, and so her children, her multiplied descendants, we're going into captivity, okay, into this foreign land. And so Rachel, weeping for her children, represents the sorrow of all of these mothers of uh, Israel whose families are about to tragically be taken into captivity. At the same time, though, she prefigures all the moms of Bethlehem who are losing their kids because of this cruel man, Herod. So that's all part of the dark side of Christmas. Well, it's still a time of sorrow for many people, isn't it? I mean, I don't know, maybe for you, the holiday season triggers memories of Christmases in the past when there is a heated argument that took place in the family. I have vivid memories of my dad every Christmas getting drunk, traveling home from our aunt and uncle's house um, all over the road, um, those are memories for me. Maybe you have memories of, you know, somebody was unemployed at Christmas time or, or some other different, maybe the kids have grown. You know, your kids have grown and it, you're a, maybe even an empty nester and the old traditions have sort of faded from you and, and so, you know, it's a tough time for you, time of sorrow. So if Christmas hurts, Please understand something about the Christmas story today. It's not just about shepherds rejoicing in the fields, you know, and angels announcing glad tidings of great joy, and Mary magnifying and praising God. Surely that is certainly part of the story. But it also includes sorrow and pain and difficulty associated with the deaths of these innocent children in the village of Bethlehem. So what's the dark side like? Oh man, difficulty, sure, sorrow. And then for others, it's even a time of rejection and unhappiness. And again, true of the first Christmas. Let's see how the story continues. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up. Seems like every time the angel is speaking to Joseph, he's saying, get up. <laughs> Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. 
But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the village or district rather of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he'll be called a Nazarene. So the greatest threat is gone. Herod is dead. Joseph is instructed to go back to Israel, enters probably like southern Israel, becomes aware of the fact that Herod's son Archelaus is in charge and he is afraid for his family, for the child. Why? Well, let me tell you something about Archelaus. Just before Herod died, he killed two popular rabbis in Jerusalem who had stirred up the people to tear down this image of the Roman Empire, this eagle that Herod had placed over the entrance to the temple that represented the very presence of God himself. So these rabbis lead this little rebellion. They tear down the seagull and they pay for it with their lives as Herod executes the two popular rabbis. Herod then dies right shortly after that. Few months pass, it's now springtime, Passover season. Jews have come to Jerusalem to celebrate that great feast time. And uh, the people revolt because of the execution of these two popular rabbis. So what does Archelaus, the son of Herod, do? Well, he executes 3,000 Jews, many of whom had nothing to do with the uprising, with the revolt. This man, Archelaus, was so cruel that after 10 years of reigning, the Roman Empire, uh, Emperor, excuse me, um, deposed him, okay? So now any Jew living in his territory is in danger. God again warns Joseph in a dream. He departs to the district of Galilee, specifically to the village of Nazareth. That's where Joseph and Mary were from, if you remember the story of a few weeks ago in our series. So why there? Well, uh, we have another interesting fulfillment. Um, Matthew tells us that the settlement there fulfilled what was said through the prophets. Notice the plural. He'll be called a Nazarene. Now, Matthew here is not referring to any particular Old Testament prophecy. In fact, this statement, he'll be called a Nazarene, isn't found any place in the Old Testament, okay? Nazarene, or uh, to be called a Nazarene, was a term of derision. Maybe you remember the time that a would-be follower of Jesus who actually became a disciple, Nathaniel, when he found out Jesus was from Nazareth, he said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I mean, that's like Hicksville. You come out of Nazareth, that's, you're uncouth, you're uncivilized, you're uneducated. It's like telling somebody, you're a loser, you're a no-count. And so Jesus was from that location. Early on, Christians were referred to as the sect of the Nazarene. That was meant to be a dig, okay? And that hurt. So what Matthew may be doing here is basically telling us that the Messiah would be despised. And he gives us the substance of several Old Testament passages, not a direct quotation. So here's a passage that he may have been, Matthew may have been thinking about, Isaiah 53, speaking of the Christ. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. 
nothing to attract us to him. He was despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with bitterest grief. We turn our backs on him and look the other way when he went by. He was despised and we didn't care. Maybe you know something about being rejected by family, by your parents, siblings, maybe because of your faith or other kinds of issues, and that hurts. And that too can be part of the dark side of Christmas. Okay, so in light of difficulties, sorrow, pain, rejection, how do we cope? That's our, another, that's our second question. Wouldn't it be nice if I could give you a nice little formula this morning and we'd all follow this simple formula and all of our grief would disappear and everything would become happy, happy, happy. But friends, the reality is grieving is part of life. You know why we grieve? Because we love, seriously. If we didn't love, if we didn't care, we wouldn't grieve. So it's all part of the difficulty. So, okay, how do we, well, let me share with you five action steps, as time permits, that can help us to deal with the holidays. First of all, acknowledge your grief. You know, we never get the sense from the Bible, this passage or any other, that if you're going through a discouraging time, a, a time that hurts for you, a time of sadness because things can't happen the way you would want, whatever, that we're just supposed to suck it up, you know, bury the pain, force ourselves to come and have a big smile on our faces and celebrate. No, that's not what the Bible says. Joseph and Mary felt the danger to which their son was exposed. The parents of Bethlehem were in agony, as you can experience, as you can anticipate, because of the pain of losing their children. And of course, Jesus as an adult ministering felt the pain of rejection. So it's important to realize that grief will be part of the celebration of Christmas for many people, maybe even for you. So what does it mean to acknowledge your pain? Well, I think it means giving yourself permission to cry. I think it means, you know, not necessarily living up to the expectations of other people, but finding your own way through the season in terms of doing things that might make you feel comfortable. Acknowledge your pain, your grief. Secondly, I want to encourage you today to address the matter of routines and traditions. If, if Christmas is a tough time for you, more than likely if you've got young kids in your home, they're picking up on that. They understand something isn't quite right here. And maybe in age appropriate ways, you can share with them, we can't go and visit with grandma and grandpa this year because of COVID. Okay, maybe one thing you could do is to include them in the plans. So what can we do? We can't go and visit. Are there other things we, you think we could do? So you're including them in your plans and um, you're giving them maybe some additional hugs, letting them know it's gonna be okay. You know, because that, those hugs and affirmations and words of encouragement and love 
provide them with security at what otherwise can be a difficult time even for the kids. So whenever possible, involve children in making holiday plans. Number three, be alert to the needs of others. Now this is not gonna come as a surprise to you, but there are many passages in the New Testament that encourage us to be generous with our time, our talents, our treasure, right? What may be new information for you is that a lot of these emphases throughout the New Testament to be generous are found in passages where the people being addressed are going through a hard time. I mean, like the author of the book of Hebrews, for example, is writing to people who have been beaten, many of them physically for their faith in Jesus. They had experienced material losses, and yet he says this. Look at this in chapter 13, verse 6. Don't forget to do good and to share what you have with those in need, for such sacrifices are very pleasing to God. So as you begin to heal, comfort, I think, may come to us in dealing with the concerns of other people. I think of this couple that I, um, I'm aware of who decided we're gonna celebrate uh, three Christmases this year. They've already celebrated one. I'll tell you about that shortly here. But the first, he said, just my wife and I, you know, just the two of us. Second Christmas is gonna be with our aging parents. Nobody else will make sure we're, you know, properly masked and all of that to deal with concerns that they have about COVID. We'll, we'll deal with that. The third one, they've received, this one has already taken place. They've received the name of a Christian family from a, a Christian-based, um, not a Christian family. They've received the name of a family from a Christian-based social agency. And they decided to go and visit this family. They, they said, weren't even enough chairs for us to sit down. We presented them with a tree, a turkey, and other food items, and some gifts for the children. Wow. I mean, such a, a giving, sharing attitude can gladden the heart of the giver at Christmas. Number four, accept the comfort offered in Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus entered the world 100% deity. He's Emmanuel, which means God with us. But he's also 100% humanity minus sin. So we have a savior who knows all about difficulty, sorrow, rejection, pain, all of those things, okay? So what does that mean for you? Look at this paraphrase from the message, Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16. Speaking of Jesus, we don't have a priest who's out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. It's talking about prayer. Take the mercy, accept the help. So talk to the Lord about your pain. Prayer provides a wonderful way to acknowledge your hurt, your pain, the sadness, the loneliness. And so the same God who cares for his own son promises to come alongside you to comfort you and to care for you in your pain. Finally, be assured of your future hope. You know, for most people today, 
Hoping is something that they, that they do. It's like wishful thinking. You know, they hope they don't get COVID. They hope everybody stays sober for the celebration of Christmas. You know, they hope that travel, the weather will be okay to get to grandma's house, whatever. Hoping is something that they do. Not for us. Hoping isn't something we work up like a wishful thought. Hope is something that we have. It has substance to it. It has reality. It's, it's rooted in truth. Okay? So what is it? Well, here's my definition. Hope is the confident, certain expectation. Notice that God is both willing and able to fulfill his every promise to us in Christ. If God was willing to fulfill his promises, didn't have the ability, we'd be in trouble. God had the ability, but didn't want to, we'd be in trouble. But God is both willing and able to fulfill his every promise to you in Christ. It says in Hebrews 13, or 6 rather, verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Your hope, whatever you're hoping in today, is only as good as that to which it's anchored. And the reality is our hope is anchored in the living God, a God of truth. So what does God promise those whose faith is in Jesus? Today is coming when the sorrow is not going to go on forever. That this same Jesus who came in weakness, Christmas 1, there's going to be a sequel, Christmas 2. And he comes not in weakness, not experiencing the difficulty and all of that stuff, but he comes in great power and strength and victory to accomplish the complete restoration of this broken world and my broken life and yours. And so the promise is given in the last book of the New Testament, Revelation. He will remove all of your sorrows. Let's make it personal. And there will be no more death, no more COVID, no more cancer, no more strokes, no more car accidents, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying or pain for the old world and its evils are gone forever. Would you like to know where you get this hope? You only get it in one place, and that's in Jesus. And so, I mean, think of it. The only thing that God is asking you to do, not just asking, he demands it, is for you to turn and receive Jesus into your life. And when you turn and receive Jesus into your life, you get this hope, okay? And so if you've never done so before, today is the perfect time for you to receive Christ into your life, to acknowledge your own brokenness, the difficult. Friends, listen, the reason why there is a Christmas is because this world is broken and we're broken. There is difficulty, there's sorrow, there's rejection and all of this pain. That's why Jesus came into this world to provide a remedy for you to experience the grace of his forgiveness, restoration into a relationship with God himself and the hope of heaven beyond the grave. So if you've never committed your life to Christ, today's the day, and if you have, 
What are you going to do to celebrate this Christmas? I don't know what it's going to be for you, but why not do something that makes it personal? Maybe it's an expression of gener generosity, giving to the Jonathan House Project. Maybe. Maybe it's helping out a neighbor in distress, shoveling his walk. Maybe it's inviting a friend to attend our lessons and carols service or the Christmas Eve services coming up. If not in person, online. Maybe it's writing a poem, a song, drawing a picture, you know, whatever your age and interests might happen to be. But make it personal, expressing thanks to God for the gift of hope. I mean, just think of it. God's gift to you today is the gift of hope. This incredible gift, the confident, certain expectation that God is willing and able to fulfill his every promise to you in Jesus. And when you get Jesus and get this gift of hope, it's a promise to be with you in your difficulties, your sorrow, and your pain. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son into a broken world and into our broken lives. Thank you that Jesus wasn't shielded from the kinds of painful issues that we face. And that in experiencing them, he's able to sympathize with us and comfort us and come alongside us and say there's a future, a bright future that's coming. And so we invite you to come alongside those who are hurting today and we ask you to comfort and strengthen each one. And Lord, may all of us leave this service today basking in the hope that you are with us. So overwhelm us with a confident, certain expectation that you are willing and able to fulfill all of your promises to us in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.